0: The uh, Olympic Committee announced this week that the Summer Games in 2032 will be held in Brisbane, Australia. Since nothing says the Summer Games like baking in the sweltering heat of the Outback in dead of August, but it's it's inconceivable to think about the fact that the Olympic Games will actually take place here, actually in a few weeks in Tokyo. Uh, it seems rather odd considering the games. You know, many countries haven't even had a chance to be. Vaccinated, But the Olympic Games is, is used to holding competition in the middle of radical circumstances. Most of us remember the, the Munich Massacre of the 1972 Games in which Palestinian terrorists captured and killed Israeli athletes. But probably the most contentious summer games was the 1936 Berlin Games in Germany. The Nazi Party had become more flamboyant in their warmongering rhetor- rhetoric as the world sat on the precipice of what felt like another great war. This was just two years before the night of broken glass. And yet in the middle of the games stood a black American, Jesse Owens, who won four gold medals in the sweltering heat of German racism. Here's an image of Jesse on the medal pedestal. How audacious was it for Jesse to win every single competition In the face of, in just a few years, what the world would experience, the fiercest expression of systemic racism by over 11 million Jews, Roma, handicapped, homosexual, and black Europeans being systematically murdered by the Germans. You and I have the opportunity to do something audacious every single day. Oftentimes we think we have to have great feats of faith to do so, but every day you have the opportunity to do something audacious. It's called prayer. We're in our series, Audacious, Prayers That Will Transform Our Lives. And each week, we're examining a different type of prayer and why it's critical for thriving. And we're not just learning about different types of radical prayer, but we're challenging each other to pray every single day as a way of developing a fiercer and deeper journey with God. This morning, we're going to take a look at the audacious nature of the prayer of adoration. And for this, we take a look at the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now, for the context of our story, David has united the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. He sacked Jerusalem and made it its capital. And now he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city, into the tabernacle. Now, remember, the Ark of the Covenant was created during the period of the wilderness. Uh, It contained the Ten Commandments, manna, uh, worship ephod, and the staff of Aaron. The significance of the Ark is it represented to the people, God's presence among them, the spiritual presence of God, and so therefore it was one of the most sacred objects of their faith. This is a high and holy moment for Israel's history, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering to the city, it says in verse 16, the uh, da- city of David Michal, David's uh, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Skip down to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household michael daughter of saul came out to meet him and said how the king of israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of slave girls with servants and any vulgar fellow would do now we should immediately learn from the text is that david had quite a broad resume he was a shepherd boy he was a giant slayer he was a mighty warrior he was a beloved king And now we can add to the list of his resume, half-naked worship dancer. (laughs) It's not every day that you see someone dancing in worship, Uh, especially not every single day you see someone dancing half-naked in worship, let alone the king. And there's a lot going on in this passage, especially the relationship between uh, David and his wife Michal, lest we not forget that her father and brother were killed in battle in order for David to actually become king. Unless we not forget that David has a proclivity to love women, we're just just a few chapters shy of what's going to happen with him and Bathsheba. And we're going to come to Michael's response here in just a moment because we don't need to lose sight of the significance of this moment for the Hebrew people and for David and for God. This moment is about the people and God bestowing, people and David bestowing adoration on God. This was not just simple worship, uh, throwing up some prayer to God, singing five stanzas of those old traditional hymns. This was not just a lifting of the hands to praise God or a clapping of our hands along with the beat. This is not walking through the motions of a worship experience because that's what we think we should do. Adoration goes beyond words and music and formalities and sanctuaries and worship services. In the height of his success and power and fame, David chose to bring the attention to God and to the city. Metaphorically and theologically speaking, David wanted, to be, wanted God to be at the center of the Hebrew people's new capital. Therefore, the ark was brought in, into this place called the tabernacle, a theological symbol of God's presence among the people. In just one chapter, he will beseech God to allow him to build a magnificent temple on the pinnacle of the city, a task that would be accomplished by his son Solomon. But, but David doesn't just want to stop there. The act of bringing God's presence among the people to the heart of the city, to the center of the throne, was an assembly of honor and glory to God. This this was a parade of celebration and songs and music and reading and sacrifices. Down to the detail of how the law of Moses instructed the ark to be carried, David made sure that God was honored and glorified and worshipped on this day. For David, this was not the end of celebration. He would humble himself by stripping himself of all of his kingly vestments and his crown. Wearing nothing but lowly undergarments. He was simply just one man among a throng of celebration and worship of God. Because this day, this moment, this was for God. And David teaches us something very, a very powerful lesson about adoration. It's responding to who we are in light of who God is. God is, after all, God, and we aren't. Listen to the how the psalmist put it in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him. All his angels, praise him, all his heavenly host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for at his command they were created and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all you nations, you princes and rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithfulness. It's it's like the psalmist didn't know that he could write variety into his writing. (laughs) We get the idea. Praise the Lord. We hear it. We get it. The word here is hallelujah. I'm sure you've heard this in Sunday school before. I'm sure we sang a song early in worship that contained it. It's composed of of two Hebrew words, hale and yah. Hale means praise or celebration or boast or fullest glory. Yah is the most sacred name of God. Not only does the psalmist begin and end with hallelujah, but it says hallelujah over 10 times within this text. I think one thing is very clear. God should be praised. God should be celebrated, boasted upon, given the glory. We should praise God in the heavens above and in the earth below by all creatures and creation. God should be praised. God is, is great and all, but isn't there always a but? For as great as God is, we can think about a thousand things that have gone wrong in our life, let alone the world. We didn't get that job we wanted. She didn't say yes to going out on a date with me. I didn't get the raise that I deserve. He died too young. She shouldn't have to overcome this battle with addiction. My kids can't seem to make good choices in their adult life. My marriage is on the fritz. She was unfaithful to me. He's verbally abusive. This is not the car I wish I was driving. This is not the home I imagined myself in. These aren't the clothes that I want to be seen in. The waitress got my order wrong. I can't believe shipping has been delayed by one more day. They don't have the item I want on the menu anymore. We live in a culture of complaining, We can find something wrong with everything. And without realizing it, we project our angst onto God. This is where Michael is in her story here. She's so incensed by what David is doing, by by what he is wearing, by his seemingly uh, disregard for his role as the king. She misses out on the purpose and focus of this day, on this moment, as a profound theological act. Instead of, of adoration, McCall chooses complaining. Adoration isn't about ignoring the things that aren't going the way that we want, but but choosing to praise God in light of these things. Are we missing out on the true purpose and focus of worship? Have we gotten so discontent and critical of things going on in our life that we live in a fog of constant complaint, do we sit and worship and think about all the things that God hasn't done for us? The text picks back up in verse 21. David said to Macall, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become... Even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Again, there's some great implications beyond our focus this morning in the text that's going on between David and McCall. But there's something that David said in this text that that we need to hold on to. He he said, I would become even more undignified than this. It's the Hebrew word qualal, which means cursed or despised or or degraded or humiliated. It's the word used to describe the insults Goliath hurled at David as he stepped out in faith to face him. It's, it's the word used by the writers of Proverbs when they stated, It is better to be humble in spirit than lowly than divided the spoils of the proud. David, the most successful king in all Israel, the champion of the people, the giant slayer, was willing to be Physically removed of his royal vestments and be utterly despised if it meant God would be honored as a result. And this was challenged by his wife. David said that he would go even further than this if God would be honored. Adoration is about bringing honor and glory to God, even if we are undignified in the process. So, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to worship like David? Does that mean undignified worship means that we dance half-naked in the sanctuary? No worries, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Does undignified worship mean that we have to be loud and active? But, but adoration goes beyond the confines of the worship space. Are we bold and audacious in our faith to God that we're willing to go to unreasonable stakes for the sake of God's glory and honor? The Apostle Paul writes this to the Romans in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Where you are is exactly where you need to begin. Even starting with a single prayer of adoration to God can change everything. As one person put it, you don't learn to praise in a day, especially since you have been complaining for years. New habits take time to develop, but you can begin today, practicing tomorrow and the next until it becomes part of you. If you're having a hard time recognizing the greatness of God, Ask God to give you eyes to see. Begin prayer with recognizing the many ways you see God at work in your life, expanding to the many ways you see God at work in the world. Adoration is a you prayer versus an I prayer. Examine your prayer life. Ask yourself, how much do I use the word I in my praying? If you're using I a great deal in your praying, it may be that the focus of your prayer is on yourself more often than it is on God. Consider the words you can use for God. God, you are holy. You are the righteous one. You are a wise God. Develop a vocabulary of praise. Often, we do not praise God by by our prayer, but if we consider all the many ways that God is at work, just open the Scriptures, and you can see the characteristics and names and titles of God within Scripture. Turn every truth you learn about God into praise. As you grow in your knowledge of God, use those truths to adore God. Strive to turn every single truth you glean from God into praise to God. But what does it look like, practically speaking, to live a life of adoration? Well, Let's go back to verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the temple David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. The significance of this day was not about an egotistical God that needs recognition. Instead, what we see and hear through the actions of David and the priest is to turn adoration into a living act of love. They blessed the people. They prayed for hope and fortitude and prosperity over them. They provided the people's physical needs by throwing a party and celebrating a meal of God's bounty. David shows the adoration of God, configures our lives to living out a way of love and service to others. In fact, going back to that passage I read earlier from Romans chapter 12, Paul goes on to say, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. What Paul is urging us, what David is showing us, is that adoration of God matches the way that we live our lives and treat other people. If we truly adore God, then our lives are configured to think and speak and treat others with honor and love. What did Jesus say the most important command is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourselves. There's a fascinating passage from the prophet Isaiah. Um, that really echoes the message spoken by the prophets, the Hebrew people. You see, we often think that the Hebrew people suffered at the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, forced into exile because they lacked a proper worship of God. It's not that they weren't worshiping God, but the fact that they thought they could worship God with one hand and take advantage of their neighbor with the other. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, the multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I've had more than enough of your burnt offerings and rams and fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs. When you appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you, even if you offer many prayers. I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God doesn't need our praises. Our worship, our offerings, our songs. What God truly desires is that our lives honor and glorify God by the way we live out the way of Jesus, which means loving our neighbor as ourselves. The adoration of God changes us from the inside out. Adoration leads us to live out God's love by the way that we live our lives to our neighbors, especially our neighbors who are very different from us. This is what's happening in the life of David in this moment. He was a shepherd boy, the lion killer, the giant slayer, the chosen king, the unifier of kingdoms. But all that comes to second when it comes to God. This is why he was called a man after God's own heart. David was changed from the inside out. Honoring God with this audacious act of adoration by also honoring his neighbors with an equally audacious act of charity. Adoration changes our lives. If our lives don't change, we're not truly recognizing who God is. We're not giving God credit where credit is due. Therefore, our lives our praise of God must be a reflection of the way that we live our lives and treat others. Throughout this series, we are ending the sermon with a prayer corresponding to the given theme of the morning. Repeating these words do not mean praying these words, but allowing our heart and our mind and soul to sink into the meanings of these words as we lift them to God who hears our prayer is a powerful act of faith. So my challenge to you this morning is that you will pray this prayer throughout this week. The the prayer that we're going to pray in just a moment is featured on our church website. It's featured every week in the newsletter, The Window. I invite you this morning to lift your heart up to God as I pray this prayer with us. This is a prayer written by John Wesley. Let's pray together. O Lord God Almighty, Father of angels and humankind, we praise and bless your holy name. With all your goodness and loving kindness to humanity, we bless you for our creation, preservation, and for your unceasing generosity to use us throughout our lives. But above all, we bless you with your great love and the redemption of this world by our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you for bringing us safe to the beginning of a new day. Grant that this day we fall into no sin neither run into any kind of danger. Keep us, we pray, from all things hurtful to the body and soul, and grant us your pardon and peace, so that being cleansed from our sins, we might serve you with quiet hearts and minds, and continue in the same until our life is in through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. This morning, we're reminded of just how much we should praise God and the fact that we are partaking in communion this morning. We're reminded that the God of the universe chose to humble God's self by becoming flesh and dwelling among us, to touch our lives, to heal our brokenness, to speak words of power and truth, to invite us into a new way of life, and then to take on the full brunt of humanity's corruption and brokenness. By being tortured and crucified for our sake his flesh was broken his blood was spilled he died and yet the power of god three days later to be resurrected christ invites us to partake in communion as a theological reminder of the sacrifice of god And so we invite you this morning. uh, All are welcome at the Lord's table. We have uh, some ushers that are coming around. If you didn't get one of these communion sets this morning, we'll get one to you. It says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks and said, This is my body, passing along the bread among the disciples. He said, Broken for you. Whenever you take of this and eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. And then he passed a cup around to them and says, this is the cup of a new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Whenever you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. So this morning we invite you to take of Christ's body, take of Christ's blood, remembering his sacrifice.